0: Go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 13. We left off here last night. Let's deal with a couple of things. I want you to find Matthew 13, and I also want you to find John chapter 4. And I'm going to squeeze about four or five messages into this one tonight. So I encourage you to study some of this out on your own. We, We can't get into all of it, but I believe what the Lord's assigned us to will be a help to you. Matthew chapter 13, you remember we read this on the same day, verse 1, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Great multitudes were gathered together to him, so he got in a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, look at this, I want to show you something. I see something you don't see. Jesus says, I spy with my little eye. I'm going to show you something. That's what behold means. I see it, you don't, let me show it to you. Jesus says, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. The birds came and devoured it. Some fell on stony places. Now, this is interesting. The word some, every time you see it, if you were to study it, it actually means this, some of the same kind. So it's the same seed getting planted on every kind of ground you're about to hear. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. They immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. Some fell among, some of the same kind, fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear." His disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak things to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but not to them uh, it's not been given. Verse 12, Whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. We started to get into this last night, and I don't know if I fully explained it to you. Jesus said, Whoever has, he'll have more. Whoever doesn't have, even what he does have will be taken away. And again, If you're like me, you read that and think, that's not real sweet. It doesn't sound fair. It doesn't sound nice. But it's because people think God needs to be a little more socialistic. And just be, everything needs to be even all across the board. And He's made everything available to everyone. But if you're waiting on Him just to plop it on you, then you're missing your response to what He's already given. Because it's your response to it that opens the door to you receiving it in your life. And he said, to him who has, more will be given. Him who has what? Him who has what? Well, if you keep reading here, and we did this last night, he said they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. In other words, they're not good witnesses. Yeah, they saw something. They saw a guy out there preaching, but they didn't know who it was. They saw Jesus, but they didn't see him. And that happened in his ministry over and over and over. And we think to ourselves all the time, if he came walking in that back door, I know I'd know him. Right? I mean, we just, there's just something in us that just says, yeah, of course I would know him. And I think maybe it's because you think he would come in hovering about 6 to 12 inches off the ground. And with that like electric robe on that just glows and kind of that light constantly behind his head everywhere he goes. Yeah, you'd know. I'd know that beard anywhere, man. It's so just beautiful. I've read his book. I've seen his movie. I would know him anywhere. But you find people in Scripture, these right here that we're reading about, they saw him, but they didn't see him. They heard him, but they didn't hear him. And if they sat there and saw the Son of God with their own eyes and missed him entirely, you think maybe it's possible some of us are too? I don't know that maybe he has been in our presence in the flesh and we missed it. I do know that he said, It's better for you if I go away. So to pray for him to show up here in the flesh is kind of like faith in reverse because he said, It's better if I go. That's another message. But there were people over and over and over that missed him. They didn't recognize him. They didn't see him. And he said, to him who has, more will be given. To him who doesn't have, even what he does have will be taken away. Him who has what? Him who has eyes that see Jesus. You see, the recognition of who Jesus is, is the bedrock revelation of the Christian life. In just a few chapters, Jesus would ask his disciples, who do men say that I am? You remember that? And they said, well, some say you're this guy, some say you're that guy, some say you're this prophet, some say you're a teacher. And guess what? People are still saying that same thing today. They said, you're one of the prophets, you're one of this, you're one of that. And then he asked them a more important question. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Not one of, the. You are the. What happened? He recognized Jesus. He saw him. All those other people saw him and said, I wonder if that's Elijah. All those other people saw him and said, well, I'm sure that he's a, he's a good teacher. He's one, of, he's one of the best. But Peter saw him and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter had eyes that sees. As a matter of fact, Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock I will what? You remember? Build. How do you build? One layer, then another layer, then another layer, then another layer. He said, "I I will build my church on this rock. This What rock? The rock of the revelation of who Jesus is. So you can see that he's saying to them here, he who has eyes that see me, I can give him more. To anybody who will say, that's Jesus, he's the Christ, he's the son of the living God. Jesus says, okay, now I can work with you and I can give you more, I can build on top of that. You are his church, and he's trying to build you upon that rock. But if you are built on some other rock, then he can't build anything on you. As a matter of fact, whatever you do have, if you're not built on the rock of the revelation of who Jesus is, anything you do have will be taken away. It's built on the recognition of who Jesus is. I don't want you to turn there. I want to put this up on the screen. Here we go. John chapter 4. I want you to, uh, guys, give me John chapter 4 verse 7. And I want you to just, all of us to look at the screen together. And I want all of us to see this at the same time. You remember when Jesus met this lady, this woman at the well? It says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. We're just going to keep going fast here, guys. So keep up with me. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew, three words. If you knew, same with me. If you knew, you know what that means? You don't know. If you knew the gift of God, the gift, you know what you should think immediately? Grace. Gift is grace and grace is gift. Oftentimes in the New Testament, they're translated from the same word, charis. If you knew the grace of God, isn't Jesus the grace of God? If you knew the gift, the grace of God and who it is who says, to you give me a drink? You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Next verse, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus, or excuse me, she says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Now keep in mind here, here's somebody having an eye to eye, face to face conversation with Jesus and he's endeavoring to solicit faith from her saying, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for some living water, I would have given it to you. She says, where are you going to get this? Where are you going to get this water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? What's the answer to that question? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But the problem is what? You don't know. You have no idea who you're talking to. "'Jesus answered and said to her, "'Whoever drinks this water will thirst again, "'but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him "'will never thirst, "'but the water that I will give him "'will become in him a fountain of water "'springing up into everlasting life. "'Does she get it?' No. "'The woman said to him, "'Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, "'nor come here to draw. "'Too aware of the flesh.'" Too aware of the carnal nature, too aware of the physical world, not aware of the spiritual world. Keep going. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. So the the approach he's been taking, living water, life, um, just isn't quite sinking in. So he's going to take this other approach with her. You know, you don't know me yet. So let's try this other way. Go call your husband and come here. And she said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, yeah, I know you have no husband. You're right. Keep going. Next verse. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you have now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Okay, so now we have the words of knowledge that are operating in Jesus. And he's kind of taking a different approach with this lady now. I'm going to read your mail and I'm going to tell you all about you. Go get your husband. I don't have one. I know. You've had five, and now you're with a guy that's not your husband. Now, I want you to notice her response. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> really? You picked up on that? That's amazing. But, but check this out. Here's a woman that said, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. In other words, these are denominational lines that we don't cross. Then she says, when Jesus kind of shines a light here on her past and what she's dealt with and gone through, I want you to see her immediate response. You're a prophet. You're religious. Check this out, next verse. This is her response to, you've had five husbands, now you're having an affair. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, she says. She says, And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Worship. In other words, let's change the subject. Isn't that what people do when they feel the light kind of shining on them a little bit? Now, I'm going to say something to you, and I want you to put it in your pocket, because it's going to be important to us later. This is the response of condemnation. When you're condemned about your past... And you are in the presence of someone who you perceive them as better than you. That's what condemnation, That's how condemnation causes you to see people. They're better than you. The immediate response is to try to elevate yourself up to their level. Let me show you what I know. Let me have this religious conversation with you. You people do this. You probably experienced it yourself. They find out you're a Christian, or maybe you're in ministry, you're a pastor, or something like that, and, ah, oh, yes, ah, yes, God, ah, what do you say to this very difficult question? Why do bad things happen to good people? And they want to engage in an intellectual, religious conversation with you. Or even at its worst, they want to argue. She's an arguer. You Jews, you Jews... You guys, you jokers say, we're supposed to worship over here, but we're supposed to worship here. What do you say? So, Jesus answered in the next verse, "'Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this, worship, on this mountain worship nor in Jerusalem worship the Father.'" You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. Next verse. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. How many of you know that that was the right answer? People wanted to argue with Jesus all the time. And he just always had the right answer. But, but listen to this, the next verse. Jesus said, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Do we have her response in the next verse? The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. So she knows about denominational lines that you don't cross. She knows enough to call him a prophet. She knows enough to talk, to engage in a theological debate about worship. She even knows enough, she's even got enough God knowledge, enough church experience to look at Jesus and say, Well, the Messiah is coming. Here's somebody who is expecting the Messiah. And she said, When he comes, he'll tell us all things. In other words, you have your opinion, I have mine. But when he comes, he'll tell us I was right. How did she miss this? Jesus said to him who has, more will be given. Him who has what? A revelation of who I am. Him who has eyes that see me. Him who has ears that hear me. More will be given to him. Does she have eyes that see him? No. A one-on-one, personal, private conversation with Jesus, the Messiah, I don't, how do you convey the gravity of this? She sat there having an eye-to-eye conversation with Jesus. Got into a debate with him and then said the Messiah is coming. Somebody who's looking for him and didn't even recognize him when she saw him. How is that possible? And I, I went before the Lord with that. I said, how is this possible? Because if it happened to her and she sat there looking at you, I know what's happening today. If people who are dependent upon their natural eyes to see and know and believe, I know that those folks are missing the move. I know those folks. I know we at times have missed your presence. How how can we avoid this? And the Lord drew me back to what the, the only thing Jesus revealed to us about her. The only thing the Spirit of God said to us about her. He could have said anything. How many of you know Jesus could have said Go to your house at 1111 University Street. And she could have said, you know my address? He could have said anything. Go call your parents and maybe called them by name. And she said, wow, you know that? But he didn't do that. What did he do? He revealed some things about her. He said, you've had a husband, another one, another one, another one, and another one. And now you're with one that's not your husband. The Lord began to unfold something to me about this. He said, Look, it doesn't matter what day and time or age you grow up in, if you go through marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce, and end up in the arms of somebody who's not your husband, it's because through all of that, you came out on the other end with a messed up view on love. Right? Isn't that what would happen? She's a young girl. She falls in love. She's been dreaming about her wedding day. And I'm sure that that is not exclusive to the time that we live in. You know that that is as old as humans themselves to dream about love. And she's dreamt about this. And a man shows up and sweeps her off her feet. And he says to her, I love you. She stands at that altar with him and he makes commitment and she makes commitment and it starts off beautifully, but in a short amount of time, she finds herself in a situation that she had no idea was coming. And maybe it's through abuse, maybe it's through verbal abuse, maybe she's been lied about, maybe she's been cheated on, I don't know. But this thing that started out as, I love you, now is, I want nothing to do with you. And like women so often were in that day and age, just thrown aside like trash, And she said, I'm never doing that again. And time goes by and she meets another man. And for some reason, she feels enough security with him to start relaying to to him everything that she's been through. And this guy looks at her and says, he was a fool. I'd never do that to you. How do I know you'd never do that to me? Because I love you. And she found herself willing to try this thing again. And she stood there at that altar again. Hoping that this would be different, and in a short amount of time, it was a mirror image of everything she'd just gone through, thrown aside again. And that would happen to her again and again and again. And I don't care who you are or what time in history you live in, if that is your life, you come out on the other side with that, and your view of love is all messed up. Until finally, she ended up with a guy who said, He looked at her and he said, I. Love, and she said, save it. I don't want to hear it. Let's just call this what it is. How did she miss Jesus? The inability to recognize love. The inability to see love. Love had a face-to-face conversation with her. Love was standing there looking her in the eyes, and she didn't recognize him. She couldn't see him. And finally, she says, I know the Messiah is coming, and he looks at her and says, I who speak to you am he. And she ran home and told that whole village, I found him, I found the Christ. Is it possible it's him? He told me everything I'd ever did. Is it possible? And they all came back, and you read on in this story, that whole city was changed. They came because of her word, but you read, and they find they were changed because of his. They said, now we believe because we've seen him for ourselves, and we heard him for ourselves. They became witnesses of the love of God. So back in Matthew chapter 13, you can begin to see why it's so crucial that you and I have eyes that see him and ears that hear him. Eyes that behold how much we're loved. Verse 18, he says, now hear this parable. I'm going to tell you what I was saying. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart, this is he who received seed by the wayside. Wayside is nothing but ground that, was, that used to be fertile earth, but because people had walked it over and over and animals had trod there, now it's just nothing but hard-packed ground. And when that seed fell on that ground, it could not penetrate the earth and it just sat there. He says when somebody hears the word of God and they don't understand it, It'd be like me just throwing seed at your forehead and watching it bounce off, bounce off. Why? It's not sinking in. And if you could see into the Spirit, you'd see that happening over and over all across the church room in a congregation. You'd see the Word being preached, and you'd see it penetrate the earth here, but over here it's just boop. And it can't get in. And Jesus said, this is he who who hears the Word and doesn't understand it. Now, look, I've sat in some message, messages before that I heard, and I thought, I don't get that. I don't understand that. I sat in some, in a end times prophetic, um, what are they, eschatology? Is that what it's called? And, and uh, yeah, it was kind of a seminar, and this preacher was preaching these things. Now, as a pastor's kid, I, I spent my life on the front row. I actually thought about writing a book, My Life on the Front Row. <laughs> And I remember sitting in that sermon listening to that man preach about where Moses was buried and Jesus coming and Elijah coming and the dilly and the whole thing. And I'm like, ah, okay. And all these church folks behind me, oh, amen, amen. I'm like, shut up. You don't know what he said. You have no clue. Oh, I, yeah, I believe that. No, you, well, shut up. You don't know. And Jesus said, he who... Here's the word and doesn't understand it, it gets snatched from him. And I don't think that just understanding it, like grasping it, like, okay, I get that, like two plus two equals four, I understand that. I don't think that's what he meant. As a matter of fact, if you look up the word understanding, it means, it's, it, it's, it means part of that. It means to grasp the meaning of, but it also means to grasp the nature of something and the value of something. So when Jesus said, he who hears the word and doesn't understand the value of it, the preciousness of it then, it, then the wicked one comes. Other places in the gospel where this same parable is preached, it says Satan comes and snatches away, steals immediately the word that was sown. What happens to valuable things that are left unprotected? They get stolen. Right? They get get stolen. And if you hear the word preached, if you've got sickness in your body and some man or woman of God stands at that pulpit and says to you, by his stripes you were healed. And you don't value that as your answer? If you hear that and say, yeah, but see this doctor's note says, this is what I've got. And this is what, I, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. And they say, yeah, but you're healed. Yeah, I know. But listen, this is what it says. This is what it says. This is what it says. Here's what you've done. You've taken the word of God and the word of your doctor, and you've put them on the same level and esteemed them with the same amount of honor. They don't belong on the same level. The word of God belongs highly exalted in our lives, high above every other voice, high above every other influence, every other word. We give God's word, first word, last word, and every word in between. That's how you honor his word. And Jesus said, if there is no honor, if there's no value for the word that's being preached, it cannot produce in your life. Now keep in mind, the word is what's being sown. And the word got sown four times in this parable. How many times did it work? I don't like that. I'm not satisfied with that. And I know if I'm not, God's not. He's not satisfied with 75% of his kids miserable and frustrated and dying just like the rest of the world. He's not satisfied with it. Would you be? You got anybody got four kids in here? Raise your hand. You got four kids. Rick, you've got four kids. I know that. Anybody else? I see another hand back there. Would you guys be satisfied if three out of the four were broke and dying and hopeless and helpless? What do you mean, no? You got one that's doing good. Come on, what's the matter with you? Of course not. Of course not. God's not happy with these statistics. If he was content with that, this wouldn't be in the book. He's showing you. How to be good ground. And it begins with valuing and honoring the Word. Who is the Word? Jesus is the Word made flesh. See, people are convinced of God's ability, or they think they are. They think God is able to do whatever. And you see, they question His will. You remember the leper that came to Him and said, I know you are able. If you are willing, you can make me clean remember he said that to him? See, he didn't know if he was willing. He was convinced that he was able. And that's the subtle little thing that's crept into the church. I think from Satan himself it is to say, well, God's God, so he could do whatever he wants, but we're just not sure if he would. But can I tell you something? And just put your rocks down. Don't throw them at me until you let me finish what I'm going to say. When you have beheld his love, then you are convinced that he's willing Now the only question left is, is he able? And I think that's a good question we need to answer. Is he able? And of course, everybody's like, yes, of course he is able. But you know what? In Mark chapter 6, Jesus showed up in his own hometown. And he came to do what he always did, which was what? Preach, teach, and heal. That's what he came to do. Willing to do it. Ready to do it. But was he able to? Why did the scripture say he could there do no mighty works? That's a, that, to me that means he's not able. He's willing. But he wasn't able. What was Jesus' response to it? He said a prophet is not without honor. Honor. They had no honor. For the Word made flesh. And where there was no honor for the Word, the Word was not able to produce what's in it to do. It was the same seed that got planted everywhere. So it's not the seed's fault. You need to ask yourself, once you have beheld love and you are established, he's willing to do it in my life. Now it's time to go back and find out, is he able? Lord, have I esteemed your Word like I should. Have I honored you in my life like I should? Without honor, he can't produce. He went on, need to be quick here. He went on to say, He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and it immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root in himself and endures only for a while when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Let's come back to this in a moment. Keep reading verse 22. Now he who received the seed among thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Again, what's keeping the word of God from producing? Jesus said it's thorns. And here's what he said the thorns were. The cares of this world you know how we would say that? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? That's the cares of this world sinking into you. It's worry. It's a life. The life built on the platform of fear yields the ex- an expectation called worry. The life built on the platform of fear yields an expectation called worry. Worry is an expectation. Fear says this could happen. Worry says it probably will. But the life built on the platform of faith yields an expectation called hope. Hope is an expectation. Faith in him gives you hope for your future. But Jesus said these thorns are keeping the word of God from reproducing in your life. That's the thorns, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things. What am I going to do? How am I going to make a living? What do I have to do to have that? That's how I would say those three things. What am I going to do? How am I going to make a living? What do I have to do to have that? The lust of other things. And can you see the focus there? I. I'm making my own way. I'm doing this life. It's on me. It's up to me. And man has tried to live his life apart from God. Man trying to make his own way apart from God. And Jesus called them thorns. You go back... To Genesis chapter 3, I want you to throw this on the screen. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 17 for me. I want to show you in Scripture the first place thorns ever showed up. Genesis 3, 17. I want you to put this on the screen for me. Genesis 3, 17, look at this. Then to Adam, this is just after Adam and Eve had sinned. To Adam God said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which... Uh, of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, or you working for it, you will eat of it. In other words, if you want to eat, before it was nothing but grace. Before it was nothing but God saying, here, all this is yours. It's my gift to you. But he said, now if you want to eat, you're going to have to work for it all the days of your life. Keep going. Both thorns, And thistles, it will bring forth for you. The earth is going to produce this on its own. It will bring forth these thorns for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In other words, you're going to have to work through these thorns if you want to get anything to eat. If you want to be sustained, it'll be by you working for it. And it's, you're going to have to dig through these thorns that the earth is making and producing on its own. How many of you know that without the Spirit of God, there is a natural way of thinking born into man that says, What am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? And on the other side of it, it's man saying, I worked hard for this. Look what I deserve. Look what I have earned. That was the condition Adam was in because of sin. Now, folks, Jesus came to rescue us from that. But the condition he was in was thorns are going to spring up, and if you want to get anything to eat, you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to make your own way. The seed of the Word of God, the grace of God, will not share the same soil as you trying to earn it from Him. They cancel each other out. You cannot receive the free gift of salvation and earn your healing. You can't receive the free gift of salvation and try to earn the Holy Spirit. You can't receive the free gift of salvation And try to earn your living. It's all grace. And he won't share the same ground. He refuses to share the same ground with you sweating for it. And you trying to earn it. And notice what he called them, thorns. When man, by his own natural instinct, works for what he has. And he's able to amass what in his eyes looks like a lot but it's nothing in compared to what God is ready and willing to give him. But man has tried to pull together everything he has, and he's worked, and he's sweat, and he's toiled for this, and he's toiled for that. And when he reaches retirement age, he pulls it all together, and he says, look at this beautiful crown I've made. I, I am the king of my life. Look at my crown. But what he does not know is that it's a crown of thorns. And he doesn't know that that crown was already born for him. And in redemption, everything is an exchange. Jesus bore the crowns, bore the crown of thorns, and gave you a crown of righteousness, gave you his crown. But the word cannot produce in you as long as you're before God going, why am I sick? I'm at church every week. Why am I sick? I give all the time. Why am I broke? What's up with that? I did this and I did that. I, I worked in children's church. I did this and I... I, I, I and as long as you go before the Lord with the things that you have done. He said, I, you're trying to come to me based on what you think you deserve? Hey, folks, that's not a conversation you and I want to have with him. You don't want to get into what you deserve. You want to get into grace. You want to get into mercy. Jesus said, if that's your approach to God, the word can't work in you. But here's where I want to finish this up. Look at this ground right before this. He said, he who received the seed on stony places is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. Put Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 on the screen for me. He has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution... I want you to say these two words. Say tribulation and persecution. Say it again. Tribulation, persecution. One more time. Tribulation, persecution. He said when tribulation and persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumble. So the word didn't produce anything in his life. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, may Christ through your faith actually dwell, settle down, abide, make his permanent home in your hearts. May you be rooted. Wasn't this the problem with the other guy? The seed got planted and there was no root. May you be rooted deep in love, founded securely on love. Your roots Your foundation, the ground beneath your feet, must be, my God loves me. If you don't hear the word through God is love, then you don't hear the word. Keep going. Verse 18 that you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints. Now, here we go. Strong to grasp this, understand this. God's devoted people, the experience of that love. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of it? Keep going. Verse 19 that you may really come to know practically through uh, practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience that you may be filled through all your being and to all the fullness of God may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. When you have an experience for yourself what is that? Who are you? When you experience for yourself who are you? Help me out. You are a... Witness when you have experienced for yourself the love of Christ and it's your root and you're grounded in it. And he said that you would know the length and the depth and the breadth and the height. That's love in this direction, this direction, then all around you. And you look up and you look down and you see nothing but how much your father loves you. Then you cannot be separated from the word of God. But until you hear the word through God is love, you don't hear the word. And it cannot produce and it will not reproduce what it's capable of producing in your life if you don't know how much you're loved. If you don't know. There are two roots that run deep in every person. If it's not the root of the love of God then the only other root that is running deep in your life is the root of condemnation. Because that's what those thorns are. It's a life built on what you deserve. And if things are going wrong in your life, the only thing you're left with is, I deserve this. It's condemnation. And it's something that must be dealt with at the root Musicians, you guys, come on up. Last scripture. Are you ready? This is where we bring this whole thing home. you stuck with me, and I appreciate it. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let me read verse 1 to you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free of the law of sin and death. Now, if you skip over to verse 31, here's, here's the issue. You will hear this verse that you've heard over and over. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? If you, if you have no root of love, you have no idea what that means. Maybe you've heard it your entire life, but if you don't know how much you're loved, you don't know what that means. What did Jesus say would separate you if you had no root? Two words, remember what they were? Tribulation and persecution. Notice what he says in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I want you to pick up on this. He's asking a series of questions here. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Now, in some translations, this next statement is written as a sentence, but if you go back and study it, it's really just another question. He says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? That's how it is originally in the the original text, asking these questions. Who's going to charge us? We've been talking all night about a courtroom setting. Who's going to charge us? Who's going to point at us and say, guilty, condemned? He says, is it God who justifies? In other words, look, the only one who has any right, now stay with me, stay with me, the only one who has any right at all to condemn you is God. Another man, another woman has no right to condemn you because they are as guilty as you are. They're guilty of all the same stuff you are because if you you broke one law, you broke them all. And in the eyes of God, if you you broke one, they're all broken. So no man has the right to condemn or pronounce guilt on another man. The only one who could have the right to call you guilty is the one who never did it wrong. But instead, he justified you. Look at the next verse. Who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died and furthermore is also risen? Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Again, this is all a question. Who is he who condemns? The only one that could rightfully condemn you is Jesus. And you know what he did instead? He died for you. He could have said guilty. He could have looked at you and condemned you forever to death in hell. But instead, he went ahead and died for you. And instead of staying dead, he went ahead and rose again for you. And now what He does for you is He sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. In other words, He's going, God, this one has come to us again. Oh, my Father, He's beautiful. He's wonderful. You should. He's, come, he's come with a request and He's calling out in faith. It would be our great pleasure to act on His behalf. That's what an intercessor does. You have an advocate and His name is Jesus. He is your lawyer. He's the one who stood up for you in that court of law. When you got accused and instead of you going guilty, instead of you calling yourself condemned, instead of you placing condemnation on yourself, you just said what your lawyer told you to say and he said, no, just plead the blood. Just plead the blood. Just plead the blood. No matter what they throw at you, here's what I want you to say. Isn't that what lawyers do? They rehearse with you over and over. Just say this, okay? Just stick to the script. When they condemn you, when they play that tape and when they pull out all that evidence of all that junk and trash you did, here's what I want you to say. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. And so here comes Satan and he says, this is what you did. I know you did it. I was there. I saw you do it. And he, and he started accusing you of thing after thing after thing. Isn't this what he's doing in your mind? Bring him back up into your remembrance of all these things that you've dealt with. And if you're not careful, you slide back over into this is what I deserve. But instead of saying, you're right, I'm so guilty, I'm such a jerk. Instead, you say, no, 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 Um, I plead the blood. Talk to my lawyer. Talk to my lawyer. I don't answer any questions, talk to my lawyer. He answers all my questions for me. He's the only one that could have condemned you, but instead, he died for you. And all that judgment, all that punishment got placed on him. This is how much He loves you. Keep going here. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... What did Jesus say would separate you if you had no root? Tribulation, persecution. Tribulation, persecution. But... If you've got a revelation of how much you're loved, who can separate you? Tribulation? What's the answer? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. What is tribulation? What is persecution? It's what man says about you. It's what other men think about you. Persecution is the opinion of another man against another man. But Jesus said, if you know how much I love you, Let them all talk bad. Let them all bail on you. Can't separate you from my love. Keep going. Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for their slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If you don't know how much you're loved, you're not more than a conqueror. But when your eyes come open and you see how much you're loved now you are more than a conqueror. I am persuaded verse 38 that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Stand up on your feet.